Value.com. From the Jethro's Barbecue Studios, now featuring Happy Mondays with two-for-one Happy CBD Cocktails, this is Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. For 75 years, NCMIC has been doing the right thing for its customers, employees, and the community. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Two Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. We take you until noon. Trent's play of the day. Uh, coming up here at about 10 minutes. We don't need to save a lot of time, do we? Come no. To think of it. We'll get to it just before we get out of here. Scott Dockerman at the bottom of the hour on Iowa. But right now, Time Talks of Iowa State. Nick Olson uh, back from the Windy City where he spent the weekend. But uh, during his playtime uh, in Chicago, he uh, jumped on board the recruiting news uh, that uh, T.J. Otzelberger and the staff. Uh, Nick, uh, Trenton, Ken, thank you for coming on. I'm not even going to try to pronounce uh, the young man's name from Wisconsin, six foot eight power forward who Iowa State beat some significant names UCLA Michigan State Virginia dot 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 uh, pretty good schools were after him Iowa State got him um, I know you're very high on him tell us how you say his name and what can we can expect absolutely guys very high on him Milan Mumchilovic is is how you say the talented player from Wisconsin's name, and his offensive game is just so polished. Really, he can score from all levels, can handle a little bit for his size as well. But what jumps out to me the most is kind of how easily he can get to his spot at that size, and I'm sure you guys have checked him out a little bit. That jumper is just so smooth and a quick release for that kind of 6'8", 6'9", size. He's more of a wing-skilled player, even though he's got like that power forward size, but a really impressive get for Iowa State. J.R. Blount and T.J. Otzelberger put a lot of work into this recruitment, mm. and it ended up paying off, beating out the likes of Tony Bennett, Tom Izzo, late, obviously UCLA mentioned as well. This was a really big one, guys, for a class that's truly shaping up to be one of the best in the country. And we await the decision of Omaha Blue that would take it up to another stratosphere oh, yeah. if they add him to and the mix. And their favorite, Trent, according oh, to John Lamb? Yes, yeah. absolutely a favorite. I think you've said the same to us, Nick, that certainly your crystal ball over at 24-7 has Omaha going there. Back to Malimidic, Mum. Well done. Kind of. Mum Silovich? <laughs> we'll work on it. We'll get there by the end. Myland. He, uh... Had those big-time offers. I heard Izzo here has really been pressing hard, and, and they got themselves back into the mix. The one question that I had, he's a Wisconsin guy, and I didn't see the Badgers really? list. Anything that you could fill us in on that front? And, Nick, certainly you got a pretty good angle up there, a, a Wisconsin person yourself. Why the Badgers weren't involved, or at least weren't named at, late in the process? Yeah, so there was you know hints of interest throughout, but they never did actually extend an offer. And I believe that they were mostly prioritizing some other guys at, you know, kind of the big positions, power forward and center, as well as, you know, sometimes with this college recruiting thing, I'm, I'm learning even more that there are some intricacies within like the AAU circuit mm-hmm. and really what teams these guys play for. And so it's interesting. I don't think the Badgers necessarily love the team hero, Phenom University, uh, EYBL team that, 
you know, he's kind of played with with other guys in the Milwaukee area. So I'd say that probably had a little something to do with it. He's obviously good enough to have had one. I mean, you hear some of the other offers he had. So that was a bit of a surprise. And, you know, I think it's something that he won't soon forget. And I believe that if they ever face off again, mm. like they did in the tournament, <laughs> yeah. I think he will have that one circled because I know that a lot of his, his friends and teammates around the area grew up Badgers fans as well. Well, huge get for Iowa State, no doubt about that. So let's, uh, any other basketball, well, I'll ask you, Nick, any other basketball Nick, uh, news percolating that we should talk about before we recap your uh, stay in Dallas from the past week at Big 12 Media Days? Yeah, just that I, I totally agree with Trent. I, I do feel that if Omaha plays college basketball, it will be with Iowa State. That's another one that the staff has handled really well in terms of that recruitment. And I'll be checking out a couple of 2024 guys this weekend, actually hoping to go out to South Dakota. Uh, priority that was here that we've talked about, JT Rock, will be playing in his home state. And I think I'm going to take a little trip there. Why not? Right? <laughs> All right, let's get to football. You took a little trip to Dallas. You were part of the Big 12 Media Days. Uh, Iowa State certainly well represented. Just uh, before we kind of uh, zero in on some of the guys, just um, you know, an overall, your thoughts on Big 12 Media Days. What uh, Was there a quote or two, regardless if it was from an Iowa State coach or uh, maybe your mark said something that caught your attention? Uh, just one of the two of the, uh, of the uh, um, items that you took home with you from Dallas. Yeah, I'd say before we kind of get into the Iowa State-focused things, it was a really cool experience. I enjoyed, you know, kind of the access that we were really able to have with just about whatever coaches and teams that, you know, we desired. If you were there and they were having, like, breakout sessions and things like that, we were able to speak with them. And, you know, I stick by kind of what we've been talking about a lot the last couple weeks. I think your mark could really be a star for this Big 12 conference. He's clearly open to change and adaptation, and he seems very, I'd say, confident and connected in this landscape with what he kind of has the opportunity to do. And I'd say what he's expected to do with so much talk and, you know, pressure with conference realignment. So Matt Campbell, as he was talking, you guys got some nuggets outside of the podium. But when he was up there, one of the first questions, I believe maybe the first question was about the Iowa-Iowa State rivalry and going forward what that's going to look like. And I think Matt Campbell said all the right things. Ultimately, it's probably not going to be his decision. This is going to be above him and maybe even the athletic directors involved ahead of them, what these conferences look like. You're new to this rivalry. What does the Iowa State rivalry mean to you and the importance as you look at things and what you do at CycloneAlert.com? Yeah, I would say it means a lot, and it means a lot already. I was actually just you know, telling some friends and family recently it's one of the most intense and I would say heated college rivalries I've ever seen. I mean, sometimes you guys take a look at the board, it gets to be a little too much. Uh Um, But I I definitely see and respect kind of that, I guess, high, high intensity feeling that is measured within this state. I know that the Hawkeyes have really, you know, owned that rivalry recently. I do think Iowa state's collected enough talent in the recruiting process to, you know, change that and make it more interesting soon for sure. But I think that's a really important thing, not just, you know, for the Cyclones in the area, but I think it's a really good college rivalry. Obviously, college game day has made an appearance, and, you know, it is one that was talked about at previous jobs that I've had and, you know, just kind of the 
I'd say on field hate that they seem to have for each other, at least around the fan base, is just because it takes it to a different level that I, I never saw it. You know, Wisconsin. I don't even know if Ohio State, Michigan gets that level sometimes. <laughs> it just it really scrapes the surface of you know kind of what's what's cool and what's a little too far. It's phenomenal. It's the best week of the year for me, no doubt about it. Nothing even comes close to it. Uh, so let's uh, let's get uh, into uh, Iowa State a little bit and uh, some of the players that were there. Xavier Hutchinson, very uh, uh, very forthcoming. That was kind of my takeaway from you know reading your stuff or reading Chris's stuff or uh, Travis or Petey's uh, at, at the register. All the Iowa State media that was there. I thought Xavier Hutchinson was a real quote machine. Uh, obviously, a, a veteran player, uh, very mature, but. Um, you know, and, and singing the praises to some of his teammates as well. I thought that was good to see. Uh, your thoughts on Hutchinson and his time in Dallas? Yeah, I was already high on him as a player, and I really couldn't have been more impressed uh, with him as a person and, you know, just kind of how he spoke with us. Like you said, he's not really afraid to dig a little deeper and, you know, not just give kind of some, like, plain, flatline answers. He spoke incredibly highly of his teammates, and now, you know, the, the base, around Iowa State as well as the national kind of landscape has been speaking about Hutchinson as well as Jalen Knoll. And I think he kind of added to some of that momentum. They're, they're different receivers. I'm really excited to see what they can do. You know, I also wrote about, and I'm sure we'll touch on Deckers, with this Dimitri Stanley coming in yeah. at wideout and his speed. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that opens things up in the short to intermediate game for guys like Hutchinson and Knoll who can do so much with the ball after the catch. But Hutchinson was incredible. He speaks, you know, not only highly of the wideouts, but one of my biggest takeaways, and I'll say it with Campbell too, is the secondary. I know that I went into, you know, kind of this week wanting to ask about it and kind of explore the back line because the Cyclones did lose some pieces to the transfer portal and, you know, obviously Greg Eisworth. But sounds like that's going to be a real strength of this defense coming into 2022. And that's coming from some of the offensive guys as well. The buzz is building already for Colorado transfer Dimitri mm-hmm. Stanley. He's been called the fastest player on the team. People are pumped up already after walking away here. Are you penciling him? He's going to be a starter game one, kicking things off here back in September. I think that if I had to pick a spot right there, I would probably say him. At worst, he's going to be highly in the depth chart, in the rotation, because he's got something that nobody else on the team really has, and that is that elite speed to be able to stretch the field. You know Deckers has that arm strength, Mm -hmm. and I wish you guys just could have seen some of Hutchinson's excitement when talking (laughs) about kind of these opportunities. These guys are ready to go, and they know how differently, you know, kind of the offense can look when they're not quite as focused on getting the ball to some of the tight ends. I think the receivers Mm -hmm. will have some higher numbers this year even if it's split more so through, I don't know, three or four guys instead of just the top two with Hutchinson as well. But I think it's going to be a joy to watch. And I think that if Deckers is as good as, you know, I've said on this show that I think he can be, these guys will put up some impressive numbers. I expect Hutchinson to be all Big 12 as well. Interesting. Well, you mentioned Deckers, and boy, not only his head coach or his, uh, what we assume will be his leading receiver in, uh, in Xavier, um, they rave about the kid. The, the hype is clearly there. We've seen him a little bit. Uh, it's not like he's going to take the field for the first time. Hunter Deckers, can he live up to these expectations, do you think? 
I think so. And I think so much of it is going to come down to how they start off the season. I know that they've got that monster matchup against Iowa the second week. And it'll be interesting to see if they kind of try to stretch out that Hawkeyes defense a little bit, which I think would be very smart because they have the weapons on the outside to do so. But, you know, I I think Deckers can be. He's obviously got the tools. He's gained the respect and the leadership of everyone that I've spoken with or really been around. He's got the cannon, and, and he's cleaned up some of the techniques. So I think it's all there. You know, the offensive line is feeling confident about themselves. So as long as he gets that time to be able to kind of drop back, explore the field, and actually look downfield with the cannon that he really has, I think that he will live up to the expectations. And he's one of the biggest reasons why I think this team will, you know, kind of overexceed and succeed with their win projections. I've got them winning around seven, potentially eight, just because this offense has so many different opportunities that they maybe didn't have the last couple of seasons, even though they lost some big names. Well, the toughest defense will play all year is week two. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely feels like that's going to be the case. Last one for me, Nick Oson joining us. You can find him at CycloneAlert.com. And you look at this team and the expectations. Now you get a chance to talk to some players. You live this every single day. You, you have a lot of answers. What's the one question that you still think remains for you? What is that? You talk about them winning seven, eight games to get to nine, to be a contender in November, to get to the Big 12 championship game. What's the one question you still maintain in the back of your mind? I like that a lot. I think that I'll ask it in a more specific term and then just kind of generalize it. I think the specific is, can the Cyclones get over the hump with the Hawkeyes? Mm -hmm. And then I think just generalizing, can they get over that issue with not starting off the season, maybe not being as smooth or kind of doing things correctly as they should be. Just looking back in terms of a couple seasons and looking at some of the box scores, it seems that turnovers and special teams tend to hurt Iowa State, especially late in close games. So can they get over the hump that way, beat the team they haven't been able to, and that would be a huge momentum swing late in the season to get closer to that 8 or 9 range rather than just kind of sniffing a, a bowl appearance again. Well, to me, and that, uh, you're, you're, uh, that was a good answer, I would throw in um, who's going to kick the field goal. Yeah. You know, 28-27, three seconds left, 42 yards away from take, from winning the ball game. Do they have a kicker that can do it? I, I just don't know. the. I'm not saying Iowa does either. Found, found it last year, though, didn't they, with Mavis? Yeah, Mavis was, uh, Mavis was a revelation, something they hadn't had. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy they could confidently trot out. And this isn't a, a knock on a Solly, who was really good in his Nick- own right when it comes to comparisons amongst uh, some of his predecessors there. Nick Olson, 24-7 Sports, CycloneAlert.com. Nick, what have you got coming up this week at Cyclone Alert? Yeah, it'll be a busy week. I actually did a kind of massive preview for the football season, so I'll be writing that out. That was about a 25-minute podcast, so it's going to be a long article in written form. I'm expecting some football news here in the next week or so, and then in-depth basketball scouting and recruiting, guys. You're off to South Dakota to do just that. Nick Olson, Nick, great stuff. Thanks for popping on with us. We'll uh, talk to you next Monday, Nick. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. Thank you, Nick Olson, 24-7 Sports, uh, CycloneAlert.com. I got to see it from the offensive line. I've heard about it a lot. Got to see it. Yeah. He's really high on downing. And it's not just kicker, but it's also punter. That's, that both of them. Right. Trent, both of them, yeah. We saw mm-hmm. 
field position in that game, what, the last game in Kinnick, where Dunn struggled so much and mm. field position became a terrible. huge, huge part mm-hmm. of the way that game played out. Yeah, field goal kicking because you get points. But punting, yeah. and, and the way that Iowa State plays, punting is important. No, absolutely. Field position is huge. So they love Miller at left tackle. Yes. They love him. Trevor Downing, anchor Good. in the middle of that line. Yes. Remsburg, who we were both high on mm-hmm. before he got hurt, when he was forced into duty at right tackle, he was better than anybody thought, I think fair to say. Uh, what's the kid's name? Fifty? Uh, is it 55? Simmons? Yeah. At right guard? Seen moments. Yeah. I don't. Hasn't always graded out high at PFF. Mm-hmm. Oh, hasn't he? Okay. No. But would we say that the two tackles and the center are above average? That'd be fair. Miller's Miller's a big dude. Yes, he is. And, and Campbell's been singing his praises since he got onto campus. Yes. And he played a little bit. He, I believe he played in the bowl game. Um, so if you get Remsburg at right tackle, and he comes back and he takes a step... Miller here, a little uh, more mature, mm-hmm. downing in the middle of the line. The guards, um, I'm missing one, and I should know the left guard, but I don't. I can't think of it. Um, Simmons at right guard. Well, we'll see. But it's a great, it's, it's a fair question, Trent, because this has been. It's felt like Achilles there's pieces heel? before. Yeah. yeah, it's never been kind of the pieces. It's it's them all coming mm-hmm. together, and injuries. Last last year they were playing with a bunch of guards. They were. Yep, that's true. You can't do that. You just can't do that. Or guys that aren't ready to be a tackle yet at the Big 12 level. We'll see. I got to see that. Mm-hmm. And we hear about all the depth in defensive backfield, but outside of Johnson, it's, it's well, a Campbell lot of Campbell says it's the most depth he's had since he's been there. That was his quote from Dallas. And not only that, and they lost, what, eight players? A lot. That left in that defensive backfield group? A lot. Just think if they had those eight guys. Mm-hmm. 30 that deep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We shall see. We shall do a, another $1,000 home run right now. You can go to KXNO.com. Once you get there, you can enter this nationwide contest by entering the keyword bonus. Bonus at KXNO.com. Your chance to win $1,000. Bonus at KXNO.com. From the Clones to the Hawks. Scott Dockerman is next. It's Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station 106.3. Family owned since 1970, Kemker's True Value and Rental helps you buy what you want and rent what you need. Get to work on that to-do list with help from Kemker's True Value and Rental. Kemker's has all your hardware needs, grills for that family barbecue, and a one-stop shop for all your lawn and garden needs. Plus, their rental catalog is perfect for do-it-yourselfers. With two Central Iowa locations to better serve you in Grimes and Huxley, make it Kemker's True Value and Rental. Find out what they can do for you at KempkersTrueValue.com. That's Kempkers True Value. Wherever you get your podcast. Why should you apply for a career with Wolf Construction? It's exciting and it's fresh and it's new every day. It creates new challenges and opportunities each day. I wouldn't want to work anywhere else but Wolf Construction. You can look around and go, wow, look what we've accomplished today as a Wolf team. Wolf offers competitive pay. The benefits are great. They have a matching 401k. Don't wait. Apply today at Wolf Construction. Get on board here. Join us here at Wolf Construction. Sign up and let's go. Wolf Construction is a great place to be. Apply today. Wolf Construction. One for podcasting. 
Victory Mounds is your ace when it comes to premium baseball and softball products and services. Utilizing our vast game and industry expertise, we sell portable pitching mounds, field equipment, and field products that we trust, use, and have used when coaching or playing. But that's not all. Victory Mounds Field Consulting Services can help you improve the quality and playability of your field. Craig Allison has years of experience in the mound business and is Victory Mounds National Sales Executive, while Mike Donahoe is in charge of field equipment and products. Visit VictoryMounds.com to see what Victory Mounds can do for you. Is now the best time ever to own a single-family rental home in Des Moines. Trent Condon here from my good friends at Renner's Warehouse, and I'm here to tell you housing prices are falling, but rents are rising. And with low inventories, they're stronger than ever. What does this mean for you? It's not always a seller's market, but it is always a renter's market, especially when you hire Renner's Warehouse to manage the process for you. With selling, you never know what you're going to get. With renting, you can be confident in your ability to earn monthly cash flow, appreciation, and tax benefits for the long term. And with Renner's Warehouse, you can sit back and collect the money. Tenants, they find the best. Rent, they collect it for you. Maintenance requests, they handle them 24-7. All for just one low monthly flat fee. They'll even warranty your tenants for free. Don't sell. Cash in and rent your home with Renner's Warehouse instead. Find out how much rent your home can get by visiting renterswarehouse.com or call 515-528-4429. The biggest pro football overlays in Vegas are back with $12 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circa Sports with two ways to win and no rate. Circa Million with quarterly payouts and 100% payback. And Circa Survivor. Select one team each week with no point spread. Take in the big money with $12 million in guaranteed prizes. Enter in Vegas. Play from anywhere. Visit CircaSports.com. Rush on your side. Condon, welcome back. 11.30, the key word this hour at KXNO.com. Your chance to win $1,000 is bonus. Bonus at KXNO.com. Scott Dockerman, a lengthy piece on Brian Ferentz at The Athletic. It came out yesterday. Scott joins us on that and other Hawkeye-related topics. Doc, Trenton, Ken, thanks for coming on. Happy Monday, Doc. How are you? I'm well. How are you this week? Doing fine, Doc. And uh, read your piece. Uh, I, was, I was into it. It's a, it's a long read. It had to be an incredibly long, right? I know you had a two-hour. You blocked off two hours. Or, or Iowa committed to give you two hours for the interview. It ended up being six-plus. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in there. Just uh, kind of, um, you know, from a, uh, an overhead view before we get into some of the nuts and bolts of it. Some of your takeaways, Doc, with uh, with Brian Ferenson. Seems like he was very transparent transparent in his conversation with you yeah clearly he was and it was uh it was revealing in so many different ways um to go under the hood per se and uh you know we started off with about six or seven different games and so i'll probably use those other ones and you know i'm not going to leave them on the cutting room floor <laughs> I'll, I'll be using them at different times but you know i really was interested in not only how he formulated the game plan but but specifically how it worked or didn't work against these certain teams. And, um, you know, Ohio State made a lot of sense. 
uh, obviously for a million reasons. But then also I asked about um, the uh, Nebraska game that same year where they slowed their tempo in the outside zone. The USC game with the way they attacked the edge. Uh, the Kentucky game, the way they used inside zone, which worked so effectively. And then on the other side, I asked about like the Purdue game last year and why things weren't working well there. And, and there were just so many little intricacies that it sometimes was hard to convey all that, but I could do that in a different way. And then likewise, I think Wisconsin in 18, um, where they lost in the final minute. And it just, you know, I really kind of targeted some of those aspects and he was revealing and it was very transparent and there were a lot of parts of the conversation that I didn't want to bring because I think it would take away from the overall message which was you know sometimes you know if somebody if a team wasn't playing really well or if they looked like they had some issues then maybe some of those some words came out <laughs> and I didn't know that needed to be out in a story but but overall yeah I mean he had no qualms going through the entire list with me and even if i would have said well you know if you want to cut this off no he was he was going to go That's awesome. detailing everything there was a smile on my face reading every single little part of the ohio state game the 55 24 demolinate it was one of not just the best games in kinnick stadium and i've been over a hundred of them there but also one of the most odd environments just the the sound inside the building that night was something I never heard before. It was kind of everybody looking around saying, holy crap, is this really happening? Mm-hmm. And it absolutely was. As you went through that, and a part of it that I thought was really interesting, Brian called a great game, what they did the first play of the game to see defensively yep. what the Buckeyes were in. That was all well and good, but there was also plenty of mistakes on the Buckeye side. Can you, after watching it again, wrap your mind around what was wrong with Ohio State that day? Yeah, fundamentally, they weren't very good. No. Uh, they This is the problem that teams of that upper echelon have from time to time is they rely so heavily on their talent, which is out of this world. Yep. But when they go against a team that's disciplined, that has you know talent in a lot of different ways, that the fundamentals aren't there, that the things that they're looking for, the communication isn't there. And it's, it's you know in, internalized, and that's pro- part of the problem that, yes, he could see the adjustments they were making, but he didn't expect 55. Nobody did. Mm-hmm. What what happened was that there were constant breakdowns, guys going with, you know, uh, you know with the first touchdown that I think I described that went to T.J. Hawkinson. Um, he and Noah Fant lined up on the same side. There were two players who went with Noah Fant to the flat. Nobody took T.J. Hawkinson. That's a mistake. Um, and then there were plays where Iowa just was able to say, we're better than you here. You know, which is like that yeah, that chair route or wheel route mm-hmm. to uh, to to a fan down the sideline for a touchdown. It was like he's winning that one. You know, so they knew where they could press and where they were good at, but they didn't expect the, just the whole uh, discombobulation <laughs> of of the and, and the communication errors and the, just the problems that Ohio State had. And I think you backed that up. I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here when you talked about. Easley and Vandenberg, great players for us, but their corners are better. Um, but it was, that was kind of uh, you know how I took that, Doc. He summed it up that you know they just were off that night. They just, for whatever reason, Ohio State was just out of sorts. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that I noticed a couple of times against Ohio State. And granted, they have they played a whole twice in the last ten right. years, but you know in thirteen and in seventeen that Ohio State just couldn't match Iowa's physicality and. 
And in some ways, you look at what were the circumstances. Well, the week before, they they came back to beat Penn State in a very emotional game. Um, and you, you remember that sometimes teams in the East Division, especially then and now, overlook the West. That, oh, all right, well, we're just going there. Oh, they're not very good offensively. Oh, they're this and that. And, they, and you get in that mindset. It's very difficult to get out of it, especially when you're getting punched in the face. And, and when you look at some of the, the runs, I mean, their runs were very effective. They had, you know, two tight ends or a fullback on the field 80-plus times, 80% of the time. Uh, but when you've got Tristan Wirfs and T.J. Hawkinson and Noah Fan, all three first-round draft picks being able to blow you up, then, um, you know, that's why it works so well. And then you look at the next week. I remember talking to a few Wisconsin players, and they were like, we saw what happened, and we were in tune to the game plan. And I don't know that Ohio State was. If the handcuffs were completely off Brian Ferentz, A.E., his dad wasn't the head coach and wanted to do things a certain way, how different would the Iowa offense look like with Brian Ferentz with none of those regulations, nothing there, he could do it exactly, not even complimentary football, doesn't have to worry about that, exactly how he sees fit. What would Iowa's offense look like then? I think the DNA of Iowa's offense would be real similar to what it is, but I think sometimes there might be a little less risk-averse strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that does spill over into play calling a little bit, but I think mostly it's, it's uh, you know, whether it's slower tempo or more punting. I mean, you know, last year, you, you talk about the ultimate anomaly <laughs> is – you know, when they break, uh, I think it was when they broke up that pass or, or no, it was Hankins' interception against Penn State. You know, and they ended up taking a knee a couple of times to punt when the other team's only down by a point. I mean, that's crazy, but that's kind of the strategy that they work with. I don't know that Brian would change everything from outside zone to the way they block to, the, to really the composition of the offense, but I think there might be a little bit different play calling at times and probably a little bit more aggressive. You know, it doesn't always work out. Obviously, uh, with the position, uh, with uh, with the position he's got, he's going to get criticism for it. But Doc, it's certainly not for lack of preparation. Is kind of how I took it. Listening or reading your piece about. Uh, the work that, uh, well, all of the coaches, I'm guessing, across college football, but maybe something that gets kind of lost from time to time. It's just the work that goes, not just during the season. In fact, the work during the off season, and the fact that, you know, we study in teams, and he made no point, uh, no qualms about it. Like, when I'm going, I don't, I don't need to go through hours of Iowa State. We know what Iowa State is going to do, and that wasn't a knock against you know what the clones are doing. It just goes to show you the preparation that they have for every team that appears on their schedule. Yeah, and it's about familiar, starting off to familiarize yourself with the, their schemes and what they want to do. Like like Ohio State, this is a year where in January or February he's going through them. But when he looks at Iowa State, uh, Wisconsin, um, you know Minnesota, it's there's nothing really different. So don't you don't need to necessarily familiarize yourself with what they're doing or what they're trying to do. Now you do later on when you get into the summer, you start to look at their personnel and and how that's affecting things but but really it's it's about a you know not to use this too, too many times but dna and and what they do and what what you need to familiarize yourself and you know and he made some really strong comments about iowa state and northwestern in particular their defense being very difficult and stuff i can't say on your radio show and, and i did in the piece but but um you know a nightmare and very is very complimentary of northwestern and iowa state and how they difficult it is to run against them because of their style of defense and that was probably one area where we had a little bit of back and forth 
because I think the Northwestern game in 2020, I'm like, you had your quarterback throw 51 times against that defense that knows you very well, and he only ran it, I think, you know, a handful of times after the first half. And and uh, he's like, well, because it's very difficult to run against them, especially when they're this veteran. Here's what they did. And then he'd show, like, a play. He's like, yeah, see, this is the defense you want me to run the ball against more often. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, I, I think it was really – it was a fascinating – look behind the hood and also made me realize very quickly how much I didn't know because there is a lot there. You mentioned the zone blocking scheme and it goes hand in hand with this conversation. That's not going to change. It's going to be a part of it, but it certainly has evolved here over the last couple of seasons. We saw that at different parts and and what they have done with it. When you look at it in its totality and what I was going to be now starting in 2022, the zone blocking scheme, how much evolution are we going to see in that? How much zone blocking compared to you know, the straight-up gap blocking that we've seen a little bit more here in recent uh, recent history of Brian Ferentz? I think you'll still see probably the similar percentages of zone versus gap, and, and a lot of the gap will be more counter-based as opposed to mm-hmm. pin and pull. They'll do that once in a while, but counter is probably more their, their favorite uh, style of, of gap blocking. But I think what you're going to see more of, and you saw less of it last year because it just didn't matter, what is probably maybe a little more uh, deviation. And, and uh, you know, when you have a guy like Arlen Bruce who's capable of running the ball a little bit more, so you might see more jet sweeps or you just might see more jet sweep movement because one of the challenges, especially with zone blocking, is, is a lot of cut blocking. And there is a lot of legislation against that especially outside the tackle box, it's forbidden anymore. And that's very difficult for a zone-blocking scheme in teams. So I think you'll see you know, more pressure put on with ghosts, players moving before the ball, as opposed to um, you know, actually you know, completely evading the, the zone-blocking scheme because it is very effective when it works well. Uh, one, one more on this, uh, and then I want to move on, but let's try if you've got something else as well. Uh, Doc, it's, it's very easy for us to be critical of something that doesn't work, right? That, uh, um, and for now, when you get that opportunity to meet with Brian, and I don't take it he was, uh, you know, th- he was covering for his, his own you-know-what as to why the play didn't work, but he's able to point out, well, this guy went this way and he's supposed to go this way, or those type of things. When you see that... Um, you can understand a lot of times why it didn't work and why the play did look like it was such a bad call. Yeah, that's that's the whole point. And and he that was if there was one thing, it wasn't the swearing. It was the thing that he was really most concerned about is he didn't want to make it look like he was blaming the right. players. Mm-hmm. Even but he was going through it and explaining it to me as okay, see here he ran the wrong route. He was supposed to go here. And he knows that now, but he didn't know that then. Mm-hmm. Or um, and, and, you know, even the, the read progression of the quarterbacks, it's here, 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 and here. And I went in through that a little bit more on the final interception in the Northwestern game. And, you know, like the description was, you know, he had one player called a gift, and that was the split end, Brandon Smith, running a, a hitch route against, uh, you know, Northwestern. He's like, he'll take that throw all day now. But that was his first home start, second career start, and you get a little nervous and you're, you're not unsure of yourself. Well, if he hits that now, that's a first down. Nobody's going to be able to break it up. You know, and so little things like that where you could say, you know, bad play call. It's not a bad play call. It was bad execution. Mm-hmm. and it, Or sometimes it was good defense, too, which, I mean, again, the, 
the Iowa State Northwestern run defense, he was is very much highlighted. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't, uh, the way you wrote it, I didn't read it as well. Ferens is throwing his guys under the bus. I thought that became uh, very apparent in your article, anyways. Doc, uh, earlier today it was announced the three players that'll be going to media days next week in Indianapolis: Sam Laporta, Jack Campbell, and Kayvon Merriweather will be there. No Spencer Petrus, no quarterback. I believe seven quarterbacks, what I counted, will be there among the other teams. Surprise this group here, and Spencer Petrus not going. Does that tell us that this is still an open competition going into August? Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know that I would read too much into it. It's always kind of an interesting tug of war between um, the staff and sometimes the public relations part of it. Kirk has looked at it more as a reward or, hey, this guy is, representing the program in the right way i want to you know have him do that in this large audience and then sometimes it's it's done and i think in this case um you look at campbell and laporta in particular and they are um you know all american candidates mm-hmm. and so they need to go and and Kayvon merriweather has been such a great representative of this program i mean we gave him the the golden gavel the inaugural golden gavel which was the player that really represented the program the best and and, and and dealt with media the best last year. He's a starter. He's in, in that secondary that was so good last year. And maybe I'll, you could be a little bit surprised that Riley Moss isn't going. But I, I think they made some really good choices among some of the better trios that I've ever seen from Iowa going to to Indianapolis this time instead of you know Chicago in the past. Final thing away from football for a moment, and uh, the article that you also have up at the Athletic talking about. Adam Mazur, great season this year. Yeah. The South Dakota State transfer taken in the second round and uh, the highest draft pick since Obermuller way back in the day. And now his son pitching for City High and a possible Hawkeye going forward there. But pretty cool story there. A guy that certainly improved as his college career went off, and here he is as a second rounder. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a remarkable story considering where he was at South Dakota State. I mean, he was 2-7 and seven mm-hmm. a year ago at wow. South Dakota State with a 5.5 ERA. Um, and then he got into the Cape Cod League, you know, whether it was pulling strings or knowing somebody, he got in regardless. And then after that, you know, he had a tremendous season there. But Iowa was after him pretty hard once he, they found out he was interested and mm-hmm. came here, changed his mechanics, and uh, became, you know, the best pitcher in, in the Big Ten and one of the best in the country. So, you know, a remarkable season for him, the way he can kind of emphasize his strengths and go into the Padres organization. He knew he, what he would anticipate now is, you know, he'll probably be a, a you know, at least try to make him a starter. He's got four good pitches and, um, you know, really a great story for Iowa. And it's, it's fascinating when you think about it that, you know, I, I if he would have been a first rounder, he was close, but, you know, he, they had a, a surprise first rounder in basketball based on a year ago and Keegan Murray and uh, Tyler Linderbaum and now Adam Major. I mean, it's just been a really, a really good year all the way around for Iowa Athletics. Good stuff, Scott Dockerman. Thank you, Doc, as always. Uh, anything you'd like to uh, share that you've got coming up this week at The Athletic? Uh, tomorrow we can talk about collectives. Uh, that'll be fascinating oh, that's to, right. to get a, yep. a look on everything on the collective side for Iowa. And then, uh, you know, try to try to replace a few of the days that were lost thanks to realignment. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then next week we'll get right after it with uh, Big Ten Media Day. Thank you, Doc. Appreciate it.
Talk to you next week. Yep, you do the same. Scott Dockerman uh, as We Talk Iowa. We will take a timeout, our last one. Again, if you missed it, there's still time. Keyword is bonus at kxno.com. That's the 11 o'clock hour. Bonus is the keyword. Your chance to win $1,000 next chance uh, coming up in the, uh, well, 1 o'clock with Murph and Andy. Miller and Condon, Trent's Play of the Day, Circus Sports Sponsors. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 106.org. If you're thinking of incorporating or setting up an Iowa LLC, zoom right past LegalZoom and work with Rush Niggett, a Brick Gentry PC. He's set up an affordable online small business package that helps you decide whether to form a limited liability company LLC or a corporation. With Rush Niggett's help, it's easy to form your new small business. Rush Niggett, a business lawyer with Brick Gentry Law PC. Go to RushOnBusiness.com. It's good to have... Wolf Construction and Wolf Roofing are currently hiring. What makes Wolf Construction a better place to work is that when we think about developing the whole person is important, whether that person is a new carpenter labor on a job site or that person's a project accountant that works in the office, it doesn't matter who. It becomes more than just a job where a company show up to, it becomes part of the Wolf family. Competitive pay, excellent benefits, and a $1,000 sign-on bonus. Apply today at Wolf Construction.